What's going on, everybody? And welcome in to another edition of Be Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Saturday, August 6th, 2022. As we just may have had the game of the year for the St. Louis Cardinals at Bush Stadium. What a night it was on Friday as the Cardinals come from behind to defeat the New York Yankees 4-3 to in front of the largest crowd of the season at Bush Stadium. That was announced during the game. And it was a game that just felt like one the Cardinals weren't going to win, if I can be totally honest. You know, sometimes you have those games where the score, it's not necessarily anything too debilitating that the Cardinals shouldn't be able to overcome, but you just don't feel like they're going to have the gusto to get there. That's the feeling I got watching this game tonight from the press box in Bush Stadium. But of course, the Cardinals did find a way to get it done, and a couple guys played the roles of unlikely heroes in this one. Paul DeYoung, the big swing in the bottom of the eighth inning to put the Cardinals ahead, four to three, the two-run double to the opposite way, giving the Cardinals a lead that they would not relinquish. And the other unlikely hero was Andre Pallante, who didn't make the start in this game. He lost his job in the rotation after the Cardinals added a couple of starters at the deadline. But he played a pivotal role in the Cardinals finding a way to keep it close after, well, a rough outing by Dakota Hudson. So welcome into the show. We've got a lot to get to tonight, breaking down the game. And it was Matt Carpenter's return as well. So plenty to talk about in this one. We'll talk Matt Carpenter a little bit as he had a memorable return to Bush Stadium and a couple of different things that happened for his game throughout that just reminded you, oh, yeah. That's what it that's that's a classic Matt Carpenter thing that just happened. There's a few of those tonight in the game between the Cardinals and Yankees at Bush Stadium. So we'll talk Matt Carpenter. We'll talk Dakota Hudson because we have to, as he made a start tonight. He kept his spot in the rotation over Palante. Well, how'd that go? Not super well. Needed Palante to come in and rescue him. And we'll talk about Palante's ability to do so. A really nice game for him. What does it mean, though, moving forward? How do the Cardinals evolve and move on from here with that spot in their rotation looking kind of questionable? We knew it was important to add two starters at the deadline. They did that, but still couldn't avoid the kind of outing today where your starter fails to record an out in the fifth inning. So where do the Cardinals go from here and will change be inspired at all by what we saw from Dakota Hudson tonight. Could they end up making a move on that front? We'll talk about what I think on that and sort of the sense I got after hearing Ollie Marmel's answer to that same question after the game on Friday. And we'll talk, of course, Paul DeYoung, the hero with the big swing in the eighth inning. Heard from Paul DeYoung in front of his locker after the game as well. Can tell you a little bit about the mindset and what he said about the big moment in this game. Really interesting perspective to hear from DeYoung who said, At some points in this season, he may not have really relished that moment. He might have been a little bit afraid to have it happen and could have found himself in a place where maybe he'd rather anybody else on the team be batting with the game on the line other than him. But that's not the way Paul DeYoung feels anymore, and he got it done tonight, I think because of a change in that mindset that he's had somewhere along the way since he's been down in the minors for nearly a couple months working on things in Memphis. So a lot of exciting things to get to as the Cardinals defeat the Mets 4-3 4-3 tonight at Bush Stadium. But real quick before we get into the content of the show, I want to remind you that you can subscribe to the B-Shape Daily Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts if you'd like to hear all of our episodes as they're uploaded 
on pretty much a nightly basis here on B-Shape Daily, and they'll be ready for your morning commute. So would love to have you on board if you haven't subscribed already. And if you'd like to support the show, there's an easy way to do so. And I want to give a big shout-out to Alex, who did so earlier today. I genuinely appreciate you, Alex. Thanks for being a supporter of me and of B-Shape Daily. The way you do that is head to my Twitter profile, at bshafer 12 you click on the money tab, which is a button right next to the follow button. And there you'll be linked to either my cash app or my Venmo account. Appreciate you if you decide to do so. No obligation, of course. I just want to have y'all listening. That is the main thing. And I appreciate you for doing so. So let's go ahead and jump right into the content of the show tonight. And where do we begin? I guess it's kind of dependent upon your personality, right? Do you like to start with the good or you want to start with the bad? I think we're going to start with the good because... I'm fired up about what Paul DeYoung was able to do tonight. And it was really interesting to hear after the game, the decision-making process for Oliver Marmel, who talked about liking the matchup that Paul DeYoung had against Yankees reliever Clay Holmes. And that's maybe not something that you'd expect. If you had listened to, uh, I think this was a video that Van Hickelstein on Twitter, he put up the broadcast from the Yankees, their reaction to the Paul DeYoung double, which of course goes into the right field corner. He had runners on first and second, two outs in the eighth, and he slices it to the opposite way, drives in two runs. It was interesting after as well. I know I'm getting sidetracked already, but DeYoung earlier in the game, there were times when the Yankees had four outfielders in their alignment against him, and the entire right side of the infield was open. And because there were runners on base in that spot in the eighth inning, they didn't do that, obviously. They played it straight up. But basically where he hit the ball would have probably been caught by the far right outfielder, had there been a fourth guy out there. Kind of interesting the way it breaks down. And he even said, yeah, if they had done that that time, they probably, they might have caught that ball that I hit. But you can't do that with runners on. And so the Cardinals offense puts the pressure and allows DeYoung to get into a situation where he's in an advantageous spot at the plate and he makes it happen. But what was interesting is the Yankees broadcast said they were thinking it. I heard multiple people in press row up in the press box from the writer's area thinking it, would Ollie Marmel go with a pinch hitter in that spot rather than have the right-on-right matchup? Would you take Brendan Donovan off the bench? You've got a lefty there to face Clay Holmes with the game on the line. And I think it speaks a lot to the trust that Oliver Marmel has in Paul DeYoung. Now that he's back with the team, he's been up for about a week now. Came back last Saturday. It's a Friday. So almost a full week, pretty much a full week of action for DeYoung of seeing where he's at with his swing, where he's at with his plate approach. And Ollie Marmel said in that spot, game's on the line. I'm not I'm not doing anything to bust this guy's confidence. I think he can bust loose right here for us and get this game across the finish line. As I said, I did not feel like a game the Cardinals were going to win. Dakota Hudson didn't have his best stuff, gave up three runs and couldn't get an out in the fifth. We'll talk about how that factored into the game tonight, but Palante comes in, keeps it, where it's at for the next four innings, Cardinals start to chip away a little bit. You had the base hit by Yachty that gave him the first run. Tyler O'Neill with an RBI a couple innings later. It's 3-2, to two, and you go into that eighth inning with a chance. And it's close enough that I, I know it didn't feel like that one-run game. It just didn't. It felt like the Cardinals could have been down by three. But Paul DeYoung doesn't make a situation bigger than it is in that moment, and he comes through. But fascinating that... Ollie Marble doesn't go with a pinch hitter. And after the game, and this was not anything that I think people were looking up as it was going on, but if anybody had looked to see what Paul DeYoung had done previously in his career against Clay Holmes, because Holmes used to pitch for the Pirates 
And so some Cardinals had seen him before. Paul DeYoung had a 1,700 OPS against Clay Holmes in six at-bats, seven plate appearances. He'd gone four for six with two doubles against this guy in his career previously. And all he said after the game, we, we didn't mind the matchup. Yes, he's got very good numbers against him. I don't know if y'all knew that. He didn't say it that way, but it, it wasn't something I was aware of, and I don't think many others might have been either. And you talk about small sample sizes, and you don't want that to be something that dictates, but it does help when a guy has, I mean, of players that had had six ABs minimum against Clay Holmes active in MLB, I looked this up, DeYoung had better numbers than anybody. I bumped it down to five at-bats just to see, and Christian Yelich had the exact same OPS at that point as Paul DeYoung. So this is a guy that Paul DeYoung has seen well for whatever reason, and he's really become a, a lockdown reliever since he's gone to the Yankees. Clay Holmes has. But Marvel in that spot says, yeah, I know the numbers, but more than that, it's not just the small sample size of that success against Holmes. I think it's a spot where Paul DeYoung has given this team some damaging swings over the past week. He's done some damage. It's what he lacked when he was up with the big club at the beginning of the year in April, and it just wasn't going well for him. But he's found a way recently over the last week or so when he's come back to to do some damage. And coming into tonight, the batting average was still pretty paltry. It was 188 over the past, what, five, six games that he's played. But the OPS was over 900 because he had hit multiple home runs. He had extra base hits. He was putting the ball in play with authority and making things happen for his team. And so I think it was a combination of those factors that led Oliver Marmel to give DeYoung that chance to stick with him. I mean, this is a guy, too, that just thinking about the mentality of a professional baseball player, he's had to have gone through a lot this season. This is a sixth major league season, and he spent the majority of it in Memphis, Tennessee, as a minor league baseball player who's got a contract making millions, but the production wasn't there, and the Cardinals finally had to say, we don't have any other choice but to send you down to see if you can figure it out. And we're going to do it right now while we still have the chance before the service time dictates that we can't do it anymore. So the Cardinals sent Paul DeYoung to the minor leagues, and it took him a little while to get it going. And he's dealt with some adversity even while he was down there. Got hit by a pitch that kept him out of the action for a little while. And then July 12th, he started back up again healthy. From there, hit I think it's six home runs the next three weeks or so to get himself into the position where the Cardinals were ready to call him back up. He was figuring it out at the minor league level, but he had to go through some adversity to get there. Paul DeYoung goes through that adversity. He comes back to the big leagues, immediately finds a little bit of success. Still striking out a lot, but the damage is there. And all he said, he was asked tonight, you know, the batting average, is that a situation where it's just going to, it is what it is as long as he's doing damage and scoring and providing runs for you guys. And all he said, yeah, we're, we're fine with what Paul DeYoung is doing is the short answer, which is average around 200 right now after the double. I think it's about 210 since he's come back. But the OPS, like I said, up there near 900. And he's coming up with big swings for this team. So you had the advantage there with Clay Holmes. Knew that he's had success against him in the past. Ollie acknowledged that, yeah, this guy's turned into a different kind of pitcher since Paulie had seen him last. But he sees it well against him. He takes good swings. That was a spot that was going to be Paul Young's spot. And for all the second guessing that can happen for a manager when things do go wrong... It's good to see, and, and the credit is deserved when you say, this was a, a spot that would have been second-guessed if it didn't go right, but he stuck to his guns, he stuck to his guy, and Paul DeYoung comes through with the swing of the game 
as the Cardinals win a game that just, I'm telling you what, when you're sitting through those first few innings and you're watching Dakota Hudson go at it, it's just not, it just wasn't even in the realm of possibility that the Cardinals come up with this win. Nestor Cortez on the other side, been one of the most dominant starting pitchers in the American League this season. And he was he was on his game tonight. Cardinals couldn't do a whole lot against him, but they just chipped away. They chipped away, and then they got it done against the Yankees' bullpen, against Clay Holmes there for the two runs in the eighth inning. And in a quote from Paul DeYoung that inspired my headline for my story at KMOV.com, no longer dreading the big moment, DeYoung delivers knockout blow as Cardinals come back to beat Yankees. It's my headline. Check that out at KMOV.com slash sports. Appreciate it if you would, because uh, I'm trying to do this thing. Write some stories, do some talking with you guys, do some radio, make this thing happen, covering St. Louis sports. That's what I do. But in that article, I put a quote in there from Paul DeYoung that I'm going to read to you guys now. Sound quality wasn't great because it was off my phone and there was no uh, TV cameras on there, so we can't borrow the Bally audio for this one. But Paul Young said, earlier in the year, I might have dreaded an opportunity like that. But now I'm thankful for an opportunity like that after everything that's happened this year. He said he might have dreaded at one point in time the thought that he would come up with the game on the line, kind of like an anxiety-inducing thing when you're struggling. He says, just the idea of, oh, no, here we go again type of feeling when I was struggling versus now, it's like you want those opportunities. Happy that I got the chance tonight, he said. And I think that just speaks a lot to, A, what where his mentality was for him to admit that there was a time in his season where he might have cowered at the notion of being presented with a chance to come through in the clutch like that. It shows just how far his confidence had dipped and how much the struggles of his season were really impacting his mindset. That's what it said to me. But then there's, a, there's an ancillary to that. It's the fact that Paul DeYoung has come around and he's on the other side of it now where he says, no, now I want that spot. He's going to relish that opportunity, and he comes through for his team in a huge way. I mean, this was the game of the year, guys. There have been some good wins for the Cardinals this season, but you think about all the things going on right now, the emotions of the ballpark. First of all, the Matt Carpenter situation, which we'll get into in a minute. He's there for the first time as a visiting player. You're playing the Yankees, best team in the American League. Not a team that comes into Bush Stadium very often. Next year, that'll that'll change when they go to a more balanced schedule across Major League Baseball. But you don't see the Yankees coming to town all too often. And the fact that they're here, right on the heels of a four-game winning streak for the Cardinals and a four-game losing streak for the Brewers when they lose back-to-back on walk-offs to be swept by the Pirates of all teams, the Cardinals are tying for first place in the division coming into this game. You've got all the momentum in the world, but then you know, oh, it's going to be Dakota Hudson against Nestor Cortez, and we're playing the New York Yankees at our place. A lot of Cardinals fans, I think, had already sort of resigned themselves to the idea that this was not going to be a fun series for St. Louis, that this was going to be a long weekend at Bush Stadium. But I said on the afternoon show on KTGR, the big show, on Friday, I said, I don't know how they're going to do it, but I think the Cardinals are going to win two of three this weekend. And one way or another, they're going to steal the Nestor-Cortez game. Because you look at that matchup and you say, Cortez against Dakota Hudson, the way he's been pitching this season, just so inconsistent. Whereas Cortez has an ERA under three, even after this game where he gives up two runs and five and a third, it's a 2.57, pardon me, 2.57 ERA for Nestor Cortez on the season. So 
some way or another, though, I said the Cardinals are going to have to find a way to win this game because the vibes are too good right now to lose. And that's honestly, the they pulled it out based on sheer will alone. Dakota Hudson was not that guy tonight. Four innings, four-plus innings. He faced the first batter in the fifth. It was Aaron Judge. He gets a hit, and that's all she wrote for Hudson at that point. Not super sure about the decision to allow him to face Hudson, but I also think maybe it wouldn't have been the most fair thing in the world to throw Palante in there to face Aaron Judge. But by the same token, Andre Palante appears to be flat-out unflappable. You can't do anything to rattle this guy. This guy loses his starting job, coming off the heels of a game where he threw an eight-inning shutout. He pitched into the ninth inning the best start of his big league career here in his rookie season. And that's the performance that gets you bumped to the bullpen? How pissed off would you be if you were Andre Pallante? Like, put yourself in his shoes and imagine you just threw the game of your life and then the team goes out at the trade deadline and gets two starters, which you needed. This this club needed those guys. But it's not because of Andre Pallante that they needed starting pitching. No, it's because of Jack Flaherty can't stay healthy. Steven Matz, multiple injuries. Dakota Hudson not getting enough outs, not getting deep enough into games and being consistent enough in his role. That's the reason the Cardinals needed this. It's not because of what Andre Pallante has or hasn't done. And I know he hasn't been the most consistent starter. Like, he's had bad games, too. But you have a game like he did on Sunday in Washington, D.C., and you go eight shutout innings, and you don't get another start after that? you got to be like, what do I got to do? But that's not at all the attitude that Andre Pallante has taken into this situation. You can see it in his face. The guy is just, I mean, he's dead set and determined to be here and to help this team. And that's what he did on Friday. No glamour about it. He comes in out of the bullpen, relegated to that role, loses out the opportunity to stay in the rotation. They go with Hudson. Hudson's more of a veteran. Hudson's been around the block before. Pallante hasn't. You've got maybe a little bit of concern about Pallante and the innings, the, the workload that he's piling up in a rookie season. So approaching his career high in innings, Cardinals are going to move him to the bullpen. He can be that bridge guy that can pitch in some leverage spots in the sixth and the seventh to get you to the back end. That's that's what his role is going to be. Okay, works out for everybody, except Pallante, who didn't do anything wrong to lose his job. And I, and I know that guys are very good about most of the time saying, I don't care, start a reliever, I just want to help the team. And Pallante, it's exactly what he said tonight. He just looked thrilled to be there and thrilled to be able to help. He knows what he did, though. He knows what he did tonight, and that's got to feel damn good. That's got to feel really good to say, I didn't allow my circumstances to impact my performance and my ability to help my team. Andre Pallante just went out there, he sucked it up, and he did his job. He did a darn good job of it, too. Comes into the game there in the fifth inning, Maybe a little bit of nerves as Aaron Judge steals the base off him. Yankees are a really good team. Ollie said that they know our weaknesses. We know our weaknesses, but the Yankees are just like us. They're going to exploit when the other team has a tell, has a situation that they're not fully aware of. Teams are going to take advantage of that. Teams like the Yankees are going to make you pay for it. Aaron Judge does that. Before Matt, Matt Carpenter even gets a chance to finish his at-bat, it's right away. Aaron Judge steals second off of Pallante. Carpenter ends up grounding out, and then you had the single that goes off the glove of the pitcher Pallante. They couldn't get the out at first. The throw by Edmund was a little bit off offline there to, to Goldie at first base. Run scores, and then he ends up getting the strike him out, throw him out to end the inning. 
huge by Yadier Molina to get that job done. But it was clear right there that, all right, this rookie pitcher's come in. We're going to take advantage of him. And you've got Yadi back there, which is huge, obviously, to be able to limit the running game after the first one, I think, was pretty clearly Aaron Judge stole that one off the pitcher. But like I said, Palante's pressure into the game. But what you love about Palante is he doesn't get rattled by those things. He finishes the inning. Yes, the, the run scores after the stolen base, but that's an inherited runner anyway. That's not charged to Palante. That's the third one for Hudson. And then what Palante does the next inning is pick a guy off base. Trevino was trying to steal second on him. He learned from the mistake he made in the fifth inning, and Palante's like, no, not, not going to happen. Throw the ball to DeYoung, we're going to get you. So I love the way Palante bounced back there from a little bit of a mishap when he comes into the game, allowing the stolen base. He was just nails, man. Doesn't give up any of his own earned runs. Like I said, the inherited runner scored, but that that was charged to Hudson. And Palante goes from there, four innings pitched, no runs allowed, only three hits allowed. He did walk two guys, which is a little uncharacteristic for him, matching Dakota Hudson's walk total. They both they both had two walks. But the key is the goose egg in the run column, that the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth innings, he is not allowing any of his own earned runs and keeps the Cardinals in the game. Like, if that doesn't happen, the Cardinals can't come back to win this game in the in the bottom of the eighth. It doesn't happen. Dakota Hudson, different story with what we look at for his evening at the ballpark. Seven hits allowed. Walked the first batter of the game. That's not the kind of tone that you want to set. Just wasn't. And some of the hits, sure, were dinkers and dunkers, and that's what happens to Hudson because he induces a lot of contact, and sometimes it is soft contact that you just get unlucky on. But there does come a point where you got to take responsibility, and he he did that in his conversation with Jim Hayes after the game. The writers did not get a chance to talk with Hudson. He was already gone by the time Ollie's post-game scrum had finished in the uh, interview room, which is a little disappointing, but at the same time, what's there to say anymore? You know, what's there to say to Dakota Hudson? It's just a matter of, is he going to perform or is he not? And that's sort of what Ollie Marmel said about it after the game. I'm going to play you some audio from Ollie's postgame with regard to his thoughts on Dakota Hudson. And it was not surprising to hear him go back to the type of conversation that we've had about Dakota Hudson before when things are not going well for him. It's like he slows it down to such a glacial pace that it's hard to imagine the fielders behind him can be very engaged in what's going on in the game. And tonight might have been the worst instance of that all season for Hudson. I know there was one, I think it was in New York. They were on the road, either New York or Boston. But there was one where Hudson was, I mean, it was brutal. And Ollie, after the game, did not mince words. I think it was in New York. That time he said, yeah, it's got to be better. He's got to speed up. This is something that we're going to work with him, talk to him about, and make sure we can find a way to to have it look different the next time. That was back in May. And I remembered that because it's something that you'd think you'd only need to hear it once and then it would kick in and you'd have a different way of going about it. But we've seen at times when Dakota gets base runners on, he kind of locks into this frozen mode where he, it's like he, the only way you can describe it is that he just lacks confidence in his ability and his wherewithal to throw the next pitch. And that is not a place you ever want your pitcher to be in mentally on the mound. But when we continue to see the same situation crop up again and again, I don't know how else you can describe it. It is concerning. 
Yes, he does have the ability to sort of work his way, wiggle in and out of jams, but that's not something that you feel is sustainable. And I loved, I mean, these were the things that I was thinking throughout this game. And then I love that Ollie Marmel, the guy does not mince words. He addressed it head on when asked about Hudson after the game and was basically espousing a lot of the same thoughts that I was thinking as it was going on. And you probably were thinking them at home as well. So let's go ahead and play Ollie Marmel from after the game talking about Dakota Hudson. And I may even leave in here as well uh, my follow-up question. I believe it was Rick Hummel that asked about Dakota at first. And then based on Ollie's answer, I chimed in with a follow-up. And I'll play all that in here and then we'll talk about it after the fact. Here's the Cardinals manager, Oliver Marmel, on Dakota Hudson after the game on Friday. Um, it, it feels worse because of the tempo. I mean, you sit there and you watch it, and if I'm being completely honest, it's just slow. Our guys are on their feet a lot, and um, it, it makes it look a lot worse than it is. But uh, his misses at times are big. Uh, leadoff guy got on four out of the five innings. Uh, he has the ability to kind of play with fire and figure out a way out of it often. But um, is it sustainable? That's the that's the question we we often ask ourselves as well. So um, we'd love to see a quicker pace and a crisper version of Hudson. And uh, we're going to figure it out together because, we, I mean, we think he has the ability to do it. Did it look good tonight? No, it didn't. That piece question is one that you brought up before regarding Hudson. How do you impress upon the importance of that and, and the expectations of that, uh, more so than you've already done, I guess? We'll get it done, yeah. Um, we'll have the conversation. We'll make it important. We'll make it important to him. And uh, we'll either see a change or we won't. But uh, the hope is that we see a change. That's Cardinals manager Ali Marmel after the game talking about the Dakota Hudson, he says, we'll either see a change or we won't. And that was kind of my question. I'm not sure if you were able to hear the follow-up because the microphone took a second to get to me. But the question is, all right, you've said before, like this is a conversation we have had about this player before, just a couple of months ago, and over the last few weeks at times as well. But most notably so after that game in May against the Mets where your defense needs more out of you, your team needs more out of you, you can't continue to sort of lollygag on the mound and not be confident enough to throw that next pitch and to keep a pace and to keep it crisp, keep the defense engaged, and don't allow the batter to feel like they've got the edge over you because you're standing on the mound just unwilling to throw that next pitch and trying to throw pickoff attempts that aren't really going to do anything. It's just delaying the inevitable. Like, that's not the confident Dakota Hudson the Cardinals need to see. The confident Dakota Hudson, and and Derek Gould asked a good follow-up question as well, that... Ollie didn't have a lot to say to you, but mentioned the point that it's not something that he's done in the past. Like Dakota Hudson was didn't hasn't always been this guy. Going back to his rookie season when he came in on the bullpen and at first year as a starter, he was solid. I would say it's more become a pronounced issue for him in recent years. But Dakota did say after the game to Jim Hayes, he's just been searching for his field. And I know it sounds like a broken record when I say this, but the field wasn't there and it was something he was searching for again tonight. Which you feel for the guy because he's not. He's not sure what's going on. He's not sure why it's not feeling right and, and flowing the way that it should, the way that he knows that it can. But, man, when you put yourself behind the eight ball like that by not keeping a good pace on the mound, that's something that impacts everybody. It especially impacts the people watching the game. Got a lot of comments from Cardinals fans on Twitter. It's just, I can't watch this guy pitch. It's it's ugly to watch, and it is. 
And the Cardinals manager did everything short of saying the exact same thing. It's ugly and difficult to watch at times when Dakota Hudson is not keeping a good pace on the mound. And like that, that affects the rest of the team. And so I don't know what the Cardinals are going to do here. You heard what Ollie said. My question was, all right, you've already talked about that with this guy. How do you impress upon him that it is something that you really need to, to have happen? He said, we, we're just going to do it. And he's either going to make a change or he won't. But I sure hope he makes a change. What Cardinals fans may be wondering is, will the Cardinals make a change on the decision they just made within the past week to keep Hudson in the rotation? You have Palante, the guy that comes in and rescues him. I know that maybe the innings concern is part of this for Palante, and if that's the case, there's not really a lot you can do about that. And then you think, too, if you get into a playoff situation, like Palante's a guy you want to have in, on that roster, making big pitches and big moments in a postseason series. Hudson, I'm not saying he's not going to make the roster, but he's not in your starting rotation. He's not one of your four at this point. You, you hope that Jordan Montgomery can end up being that guy that can be your number four, but you feel more confident with Michaelis, Wainwright, Quintana, at least after one game. Look good on Thursday. And then maybe Jordan Montgomery if you need a fourth. Hudson, I think, is going to be a man without a home in those situations. But what can you expect when he's not getting the outs? He's not getting the job done as a starter. So right now, if you want to move Palante to the bullpen, I get it. It worked out today because he was fresh and available. But now he's going to be down for two, probably three days. Won't be able to pitch. So it's almost like having a pseudo starting pitcher that you need him to throw 65 to get through four innings of relief because Dakota Hudson didn't get deep enough into the game. Which, by the way, Hudson threw 78 pitches, recording the same amount of outs as Palante, who threw 65 pitches. And Hudson allowed three runs, seven hits. Palante, no runs, three hits. Article that I'm going to be working on for Saturday. I got to get to bed at some point. It's after 2.30 a.m. right now as I'm talking to you guys, which is why I really appreciate you listening because if you didn't listen None of this would be worth it, but I do try to work hard for you guys so you have a podcast so we can talk Cardinals baseball daily. It's what I dig. I know it's what you guys dig, so I love doing it, but just saying, if you needed any further incentive, feel bad for me and listen because it's uh, it's it's late nights to do these things sometimes. But in that article that I hope to finish up on Saturday morning, I made the comparison where if this was a, a football quarterback training camp battle to see who would be the starter, Andre Pallante would have won that battle tonight. The same amount of reps, right? Four innings each. Andre Pallante did his job, kept his team in the game, and allowed them to get that come-from-behind victory. Dakota Hudson was the reason they needed rescuing in the first place. So if you were using that as, as a metric by which to make a decision, if you're a head coach in the NFL or college football, University of Missouri is trying to make that choice with their starting quarterback for the upcoming season right now, if you were looking at the, the camp battle and, and the tail of the tape, Palante would be the guy. He would be the guy that you put into your rotation. If you have to have every fifth day guys on standby to be able to come in and rescue the starter in case he doesn't get deep enough, can't get through the fifth, is that the guy that you want when you have this other alternative that has answered the call every time he's heard the bell? Just pitched eight innings of shutout baseball the last time he made a start. And has just pretty much gotten the job done. He's a gamer, he's a grinder, and it was a gritty outing tonight by Andre Palante. Like I said, unless it's an innings thing, which it could be, but otherwise I just don't see the I just don't see the the advantage right now to Hudson. Like he knows he's not pitching well. His ego can handle a trip to the bullpen, and he can help you in that role as well. I think he can help him recenter and refocus 
and, and get back to some of the basics that he was doing when he was a, a rookie in 2018 coming up and pitching lights out stuff down the stretch for the Cardinals out of the bullpen. Like Hudson could be that guy just as well as Palante could. And I think Palante can be more valuable to you in the rotation. I've always said, and this goes back to the Carlos Martinez years where we were deciding, well, does he is he more worthy of a starting role? Should he be the closer? What? And I always said, if he can be a starter, that's where you put him because a starter, a good starter, is more valuable to a baseball team than a good reliever. It's just always going to be the case, even in the era where bullpens are more important because guys aren't going as deep into games. That's that's a product of the fact that guys aren't going as deep into games that you've really locked down and said we're going to have really great relievers. But those guys are throwing one, two innings at a time. The value will always be, ask Adam Wainwright, the value will always be in the guys that can go six, seven, eight innings because what you're doing to save your bullpen on those days is going to make those guys and your team so much better on the other days. Dakota Hudson has not shown the ability. Now, he's had some seven-inning outings this year, but it's it's not consistent enough. And the downside is when he doesn't get that done, you go way to the other end of the spectrum, and he, he gives you four and gives up three runs. Pitching in and out of trouble all the time, it's a hard way to live. And Ollie Marmel asked the question tonight. He said, is it sustainable? That's what we're having to ask ourselves. I think Cardinals fans are sitting there screaming at their television sets, no, it's not sustainable. It's not. So the sample size is large enough right now that maybe Dakota Hudson needs a miniature version of what Paul DeYoung has had to go through in terms of some adversity, losing his starting role, not only losing his role, but he wasn't on the team for six, seven, eight weeks. Went to Memphis, went to the minors. I'm just talking about moving Dakota Hudson to the bullpen. And I think that's the way the Cardinals should go with this. I don't know if they're going to. The innings as it lines up. So for Pallante, he threw 99 innings last year, but he also had another 20 or so in the Arizona Fall League. So really 120 is that career high. There's no reason he can't get to 135, 140 if he threw 120 innings last year. That's my opinion. He's at 86 after tonight. You figure, I don't know, 10 more starts the rest of the way. Is that 50 innings if you go five per? Closer to to 60 if you go six per, which is what you want to see. But let's say five and a half per. That puts him right around 140 some odd innings. And then you you maybe say, well, we don't have him for the playoffs. I don't know. I, I think this is a resilient guy that I don't really have those kinds of concerns over his innings. If And again, for a player that has a, a low innings total for his career, all you can do is raise it. You, it's not going to stay low forever, or you, or you don't have the ability to manufacture any more bulldog, workhorse kinds of starting pitchers. I think Palante can be that kind of guy down the road. Cardinals got to take the training wheels off a little bit and let him if he's your best option right now. Unless he's giving you feedback that says, oh, I can't do it. I don't feel like I've got that in me. But I don't think Andre Palante is that kind of guy that's going to give you that. He has answered the bell at every turn. I think he'll continue to do that. And for me, that would be the decision I make in the here and now. He's back in the rotation. He flip-flops with Hudson. Hudson goes into the bullpen. Because if I got to reserve Andre Palante for every fifth day just to be ready in case Hudson melts down, that's not the best way to use your roster to put it together. So that's where I am on that. A couple more things I want to talk about before we get out of here for the night. Going to still get into Matt Carpenter. That's probably how we're going to close it out. But I wanted to make sure I gave credit, too, to Paul DeYoung, not just for what he did offensively, but defensively as well. There's a couple plays in this game where he's moving big time to his left, 
And one of them, he cut off Tommy Edmond and made a great throw, but Edmond was so deep in the hole, playing a little bit shifted at second base, that it was probably the right play for DeYoung to cut it off and, and make the play. A little bit of an off-balance throw earlier in the game. And then things got interesting in the ninth inning there with Ryan Helsley on the mound. I think he was getting squeezed a little bit, perhaps, but you have a spot in that game where Matt Carpenter comes up, possibly could ruin the entire night for the Cardinals, and he sort of check swings a little bit of a swinging bunt. And again, Edmund was playing so deep that here comes DeYoung. He's got to try to hurry and make this play. And he ends up flipping the ball out of his glove. Doesn't even have time for the bare hand to make the throw. And gets enough juice on that ball to get it to Paul Goldschmidt, stretching as far as he possibly can at first base. Cardinals win. And DeYoung made a little bit of a comment on the field to uh, Jim Hayes. I saw in the postgame interview where he said, well, with Carpenter running, kind of tongue-in-cheek. But I think that meant, you know, I knew I had a chance, but I still had to be quick because that ball was, it was a, a classic check swing that uh, almost worked out as a, a swinging bun hit for Carpenter. But let's wrap up the show that way. We'll talk about Matt Carpenter. It was really special. I got to be honest, really special to see Matt Carpenter and the reception that he received from Cardinals fans tonight at Bush. Anthony Rizzo was scratched from the lineup, and so he ends up, Carpenter moves to DH, but he does move up in the lineup to bat third. He was going to play in right field. That would have been interesting to see. Maybe we get a chance to see that one other time the rest of the weekend. But he moved to the DH spot, and the Yankees shuffled their lineup all around. But Carpenter ends up coming up to the bat, bottom or top of the first inning, I should say, since he was batting third. And I had been saying I really wanted to see them play the Long Hot Summer Day song to welcome him for his first at bat. And they didn't end up doing it, and I understand why. Like, you don't really play walk-up songs for the opposing team. That's not a thing that you do. And like I said, I don't think Carpenter has played the song in a little while. He even was kind of toning it down last year at times when he was still with the Cardinals. But I don't think he uses it this year. And so I, I was kind of a wishful thinking that they would have played it. But I'll be honest with you, you wouldn't have been able to really hear it if they had because the crowd was so loud. They were so into it. With the ovation, Yachty did the classic thing where he steps out in front of the plate, you know, dusts off the shin guard, make sure the infield's ready, all you know, just kind of posing out there to give Carp his time. And you watch the video of it, his, his eyes were welling up a little bit. And you could tell that was a special moment for him. And then, of course, he beats the shift twice and ends up with a couple of hits on the night and had a fly ball that I swear it was a guaranteed mortal lock that he had an at-bat like this in a batted ball that goes out to deep right field you know, 95 to 100 exit velo. I think this was 97. Looked it up on StatCast. But gets under it, and it dies at the warning track right in front of the wall because how many times over the past two years did that happen to Matt Carpenter at Bush Stadium where this ballpark, they just eat him alive? And Marley Rivera was in the Cardinals clubhouse after having gone over to the Yankees side, Marley Rivera of ESPN, and she was saying that Carpenter spoke after the game and said, I've played here long enough to know that if you think it's a home run off the bat, you're wrong. You're, you're, it's going to be caught at Bush Stadium. You've got to know for darn sure that it's a home run. And if you think it might be, it's not. And that's exactly what happened to Carpenter. So it was it was cool to hear he had a sense of humor about that. And why wouldn't you when you're Carpenter in this season having OPS over 1,200, more than 100, 150 points higher than Goldschmidt, than Aaron Judge. I mean, those are the two guys, the front runners for MVP of their respective leagues. And Carpenter, in albeit a much smaller sample size, has an OPS 
200 points higher than Goldsmith, 150 points higher than Aaron Judge. It's insanity. 15 home runs on the season. You'd be hard-pressed to go back through those game logs from when Matt Carpenter was on that absolute tear in the summer of 2018 and find a stretch better than what he's doing right now in 2022, which is just absolutely patently absurd given what we saw from him the last couple of seasons. But he's been able to put it together. Yes, it's partially a product of the ballpark where everybody, even Paul DeYoung, said, yeah, Carp would have had one tonight if, it, if that was uh, at, his, at his new home ballpark because that would have been a home run at some other places. Not at Bush, not in the jet stream, not in the deep cavernous outfield. It just wasn't going to happen. But Carpenter's been ridiculous this year. It's been really cool to see him return to Bush Stadium and great to see him make the final out for the Cardinals fans, right? That was a spot where he comes up in that situation. If he goes yard, I think you might have heard some boos. Kind of like, like you might have heard on Matt Carpenter's at-bats at times last year when things weren't going well. But it was good to see that fans said, listen, you know, he struggled the last couple of years he was here and people were frustrated with him. Doesn't make him love Matt Carpenter any less, the person, the player, what he what he was to the city of St. Louis. Guy's going to have a red jacket for sure based on the ovation we heard today. If there was any doubt about it, which there wasn't, it was good to see. So Carpenter, hopefully he's in the lineup again on Saturday. I, I just want to see more of him. Jordan Montgomery's a lefty, but if you look at Matt Carpenter's number this season against left-handed pitching, He's hit a home run every six at-bats. 30 at-bats against lefties, five dingers, with an OPS over 1,300. Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense, but that's the world we're living in in Major League Baseball 2022. That's going to do it, though, for this edition of the show. As I said earlier, I appreciate you guys so much for listening. It means a lot to me. I'm putting in the work so that we can get this podcast off the ground, but it doesn't happen without you, the listener. So thank you guys once again for sticking with me through another episode of the show. And we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.